Uh, If you brought your Bibles this morning, you can open them up to the book of Jonah. How many of you have heard of Jonah before? So we're going we're gonna to dig deep into Jonah. Last week we began Jonah by bringing all our kids up here and uh, walking through the whole kid story of Jonah. But Jonah is no kid story, and you're going to see that over the next four weeks. Uh, we're going to do a chapter a week out of Jonah over the next four weeks. And uh, uh, if, uh, if your seats had seat belts, I would tell you to buckle them. Um, because Jonah is no kid story. So let's begin with the word itself. Uh, I just want to read with you. If you brought your Bibles, uh, you can uh, follow along on your smartphone. It'll also be on the screen. I just want to read with you the first chapter of Jonah, and then we'll talk about the text itself, what it looks, and then we'll get into some deeper meanings. It begins, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. And go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm, threatening to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? And what country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, The sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. (laughs) How many of you think you know the story of Jonah? All right, so there's a couple of interesting things about this. One is, 
Almost everyone would tell you they know the story of Jonah, but almost everyone who tells me the story of Jonah is wrong. So uh, ask yourself, how well do you know the story of Jonah? And we'll uh, dig into it a little bit today. Just some background on the text itself. Uh, Jonah is a minor prophet. Um, there, uh, there are 12 uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament, Hosea, Joel, Zechariah, Malachi, and minor doesn't mean that it's somehow less important than major prophets. Minor just means uh, less than 50 verses. There are only 44 verses in all of Jonah. Uh, if you want to be a major prophet, prophet then uh, like Jeremiah, you get to be long-winded and you have like 50 chapters. So are you seeing the distinction between major and minor? It's not a, Jonah isn't a minor prophet because of importance, it's just because uh, it's only 44 verses. We don't know who wrote Jonah, and Jonah is a very different kind of prophet, a uh, uh, different kind of work than, than any other uh, book in the, in, in the Bible, very different from the other prophet. Uh, he doesn't offer any oracles, he's a, he's a disobedient prophet. Uh, it's really weird that the story of Jonah is really actually all about Jonah, it's not really about anyone else. So this, this is a picture, a story that's all about him. Uh, it's a historical narrative. Uh, even the first words of Jonah begins, and it happened. There's lots of great repetition in Jonah. Jonah is a great story, literally, uh, because uh, the word great in Hebrew is used again and again and again. In 44 verses, it's used 15 times. It's a great city. It's a great storm. The Lord is greatly to be feared. They had great joy. It's a great story. Are you with me? The story of Jonah has been told and retold, and different versions of the story exist and are all over the place. Walt Disney wrote a, a version of the Jonah story. Do any of you know what it is? You do. Somebody said it. Pinocchio, that's right. Now you're all thinking, I got to go back and watch Pinocchio again. Yeah, Disney based uh, his Pinocchio on a version of the Jonah story. Uh, and just for, uh, I'm going to offer this to you uh, just because I think it's interesting. So I'm just going to put this in your, that's interesting, put this in your hmm box and don't do anything else with it, right? Um, but as I said, the version, uh, a version of the Jonah story has been told and retold and shared and reshared. And actually, if you look in the Quran, the 10th chapter of the Quran is named the prophet Jonah. And in the Quran, it includes the entire story. Of Jonah. Jonah is one of the esteemed prophets in the Quran. So, did that check your hmm box? Yeah, see, good. Good. Uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, uh, this is historical narrative, so I want to talk to you about where this actually happened. Uh, all right, so this is the one area in my life that I'm actually better than my wife. Um, I am, I am horrible at grammar and spelling and most other things, but when it comes to geography, I can beat her every single time. And so uh, this may not be interesting to you, but it's interesting to me. So I want to show you where the story of Jonah took place. Actually, I have a picture. I have a map for you. Uh, right there, you see Iraq and Syria. Uh, hopefully, kind of down here is Israel, and you see Jerusalem. And that red dot right up there is Nineveh. Uh, it's outside of the modern-day city of Mosul. Do you guys, maybe you've heard of Mosul in the news, right? And so uh, Jonah was a prophet in the northern tribe of Israel, and God told him to go all the way up to Nineveh. Instead, 
Jonah bought a ticket down in Joppa, which is uh, on the coast, close to Jerusalem, to go to Tarshish, which is the other side of the Med Sea. Literally, the scripture says he went in the opposite direction, and that is exactly what happened. Um, let's talk about Nineveh just for a minute. Uh, this, this is kind of a, again, for your hmm box, uh, there's actually a city in, in, a, in Indiana called Nineveh. Have any of you ever been to Nineveh, Indiana? All right, this is a poor choice for a name of a city. I'm just telling you. Um, uh, in Nineveh, uh, just outside of Mosul, uh, uh, just more fun facts for you, uh, there was actually a shrine uh, to Jonah, uh, which is kind of this historical place m- marking Jonah's life in this place. Uh, it, it was like this cool architectural uh uh, archaeological site. Uh, there was a shrine to Jonah. Uh, there was also a mosque to Jonah here in Nineveh. But in 2014, again, this is maybe just for your hmm box, uh, in 2014, ISIS blew it all up. In fact, I have a picture of it. So in 2014, ISIS took over Mosul, took over this area. And um, even though, or, sorry, even though Jonah is a prophet in the Quran, they blew up Jonah's shrine. Anyway, it makes no sense to me. Um, but ISIS blew up this, and, and I mean, archaeologists all over the world. We were like, oh, why did they do this? Why did they do this? But fun fact for you, ISIS plan actually backfired. So they blew up this shrine to Jonah, which is, you know, how civilizations are built one on top of another. So it builds this kind of mound up. And on the top was the shrine of Jonah. And ISIS blew it up. They even brought bulldozers in and like, psh, and archaeologists. Archaeologists cried and cried and cried and cried until ISIS got pushed out and then archaeologists were able to come back in and what they were able to find under the rubble was all of the layers of the city of Jonah or the city of Nineveh and have all these layers. What they did was because the shrine existed there, archaeologists never would have dug down or discovered more about the city of Nineveh and, and even the story of Jonah. But because ISIS blew it up, now they can have access to all this kind of stuff. So see, take that, ISIS. Um, Still, most of you, uh, if I told you, hey, uh, we're going to take a field trip, we're going to go to Nineveh, most of you would say, you'd be like, no, you'd be like Jonah, like thanks, but no thanks. You'd be heading in the opposite direction. Um, We're going to talk a lot about Nineveh, but but I want to give you a a heads up, just because he, he mentions it right at the very beginning. The Lord says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce judgment. I've seen how wicked its people are. Um, and that is, that is 100% accurate. Uh, 800 years before the time of Christ is when Jonah was at, at Nineveh. At this point in time in history, the Assyrians were, were the rulers. And everything about the city of Nineveh and the Assyrian reign over Nineveh is 100% R-rated. Uh, later in Scripture, even in Nahum, it talks about the city of Nineveh as the bloody city. A city, uh, Assyrians had an incredibly uh, bad reputation, uh, a bloody reputation, and, and they love to, to kind of brag and boast about their cruelty. Um, just a few pictures of this R-rated Assyrian Nineveh empire. Uh, they love to brag about live dismemberment. Uh, one of the traditions of uh, the Assyrians was to cut all of the limbs off of a person except for their hand so they could shake that hand as the person died. 
That's a picture of the Assyrian Empire. They would sever heads and then put the heads on, on spikes and poles, and they would require friends and family members of that person to carry the poles on parades through the city. They stretched live prisoners out so they could skin them. They had piles of dismembered body parts, and all of this is carved into the walls in reliefs, like as a billboard of their cruelty. They would take children and throw them into fires. In, in the most, I don't, know, I don't know how to explain it in much clearer ways, but the, the city of Nineveh at this time, especially the Assyrian Empire, like they were the enemies of everyone. They were the worst of the worst. Uh, not only were they enemies of, of Israel and of God, they were enemies of the rest of the world. And, and so there's a real, like, like, there's a weird kind of part of this Jonah story. Like, like, like there's one sense of the Jonah, Jonah story that Jonah actually does the only sensible thing, right? Knowing what you know about Nineveh, if God told Jonah to, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, basically that would have, Jonah 100% would have thought this is a death sentence. They're going to cut all my limbs off and shake my hand as I die. Like he's sending me to die. I'm going to Nineveh because I'm going to die. And if that didn't happen, the other option, which is a crazy outside chance that no one would have ever considered, but if Jonah actually happens to go to Nineveh and the people of Nineveh actually repent, which nobody would ever think was going to happen, if Jonah goes to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent, guess who is going to be mad? The world. Especially the Jewish people, especially the Israelites. If Nineveh repents, Jonah is going to be banned from Israel. Why? Because nobody wants Nineveh to repent, right? They don't deserve it. And so, like, think about this. Like, uh, either way, Jonah goes to Nineveh, he dies, or Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he becomes a, a, his own people, his own family will reject him completely in the happenstance that Nineveh repents. You see this no-win situation for Jonah? So what does Jonah do? Option number three, right? Checks out. So I want to talk about some of the participants in this story because this, this, is, this is really important stuff for us. The first person in this story, the, the first participant in this story is the Lord or Yahweh. Uh, and uh, uh, I love the, the, the sailor's prayer. Like uh, you get this picture, Jonah is asleep during the storm and the sailors come and shake him and wake him up. What are you doing? And if you remember in verse six of this first chapter, remember what the sailors say to him. They say, get up and pray and maybe your God will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So the Lord in the story of Jonah is very different than the Lord in, say, for example, the story of Ruth, right? Where he's always in the background. But in the story of Jonah, the Lord is front and center. They pray, maybe he will pay attention. And if you look carefully at the story of Jonah, he is paying attention He is a constant presence in the story. He's, he's a participant in this story. 
Remember I told you the book of Jonah is a, in, in its entirety is 44 verses. The Lord is mentioned 39 times in 44 verses. He is constantly displaying his power and his activity and his presence. In fact, maybe the only constant in the story of Jonah is the Lord's continued presence. Sounds like Psalm 139, where, O oh Lord, can I go from your presence? Where can I escape your spirit? Remember that? So we're going to come back to that a lot. Also in this story, other participants, characters in this story are outsiders or unbelievers or, or pagans. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Ninevites when we get there, but you already got it. You, you got a picture like they're bad guys, right? Like, okay, <laughs> like you figured that much out. Uh, in this first chapter, though, the, the outsiders, the unbelievers, the pagans are, are the sailors. Or when I, I, I don't know, when I tell kids they're always pirates to me, I don't know. Um, uh, have you ever heard the expression that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes? Uh, apparently, there are no atheists when storms come at sea either. So... These are very uncharacteristic sailors, right? So sailors are not known for, for their piety or, or their prayerfulness. No one ever said, to pray like a sailor, right? And yet, if you look carefully, like, like, like these sailors are some, some pretty incredible, pious faithful even, individuals. The Jewish legend is that the, the sailors went to great lengths to avoid tossing Jonah into the sea where he would die. And you even see that. They, Jonah says, hey, just throw me into the sea. The whole thing will stop. And what do they do? Instead, they row harder to get to shore, Right? The sages, the legend of the sages is when they try to return to shore, they return to shore and they're not able to make it. Instead of tossing Jonah into the sea, what they do is they lower his toes into the water. And as soon as his toes touch the water, the sea calms and the storm begins. And they think, oh, fantastic, great. And they raise Jonah out of the, his toes out of the water. And then what happens? The storm begins again. And the sages tell this great story about then they lower him down to his ankles and the storm calms. And they pull him out, and the storm comes back, and they lure him to his knees and his waist. They have this, this kind of a really cool picture um, that, that the sailors are <laughs> the sailors are the good guys doing everything they can to save Jonah's life. And finally, they end up tossing him to the sea. Let him who knows not how to pray go to the sea. When they finally relent and toss Jonah overboard, what happens? And these awestruck pagan worshipers, if you look, man, this is, you know, all right, so everybody thinks the story of Jonah, that the fish was a miracle, but 
unspoken, unbelieving failings see the power of God and, and basically have a conversion experience, right? They vow to serve, to serve Jonah's God. So finally, the character, um, we talked about God, we talked about sailors, outsiders. Let's talk about insiders. Jonah is the ultimate insider. His name even means dove. And it's a reference to uh, sometimes Israel, the people of God, were referred to as as doves. And, and in Jonah, the dove of God, what we are to see is our man. Like he is our guy. He is our champion. champion. Jonah is Mr. Faithful. Jonah is Mr. Religion, except for one thing. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He bought a ticket hoping to escape from the Lord. Many have said that uh, Jonah is not just, you know, he, he's not fleeing to kind of just, okay, I'm going to keep my relationship with God. I'm just going to not do this one thing. But many have suggested that Jonah runs away to begin a whole new life without God. Remember, he is supposed to be our guy. He's supposed to be our representative, our number one. Jonah is our Billy Graham. Right? He's supposed to be the one that we all look up to and we 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 compare ourselves to. He's Mr. Religion. There's a problem because his religion appears to be only words deeds. I've got a lot of friends that were in a, in grad school with me in, in theological grad school. Um, I, I wasn't the best theologian in my class by by a long shot. I wasn't the best preacher in my class. You are, sorry, you may already know that. Um, by by a long stretch, and. Um, one of one of the tough realities of of ministry and, and of men and women who pursue ministry is is that frankly many of them uh, go into this place of ministry and then fall out of ministry completely and lose their faith. So there are some, I have some friends that were like in grad school and like studying theology and teaching and all this kind of stuff. Man, they were my idols and I looked up to them everything. Like I was like, man, I'll never be as good as you in this. And now they're accountants. Not that that's bad. <laughs> they're lawyers. Uh, I don't know how else. Um, you know, they're, they're band directors. And not, not only have they, like, like, here's the thing. Like, like, they could tell you all of the deep theological truths about God. They just don't believe in them. Like, like no one has, is better primed in a better position to tell these sailors all about God and his goodness and his faithfulness. Like he can give them all of the theology of God. He chooses not to obey him. He's great at talking religion. Just not so much. And in an emergency, 
in a crisis, he cannot be counted on to pray or to act. In fact, Jonah's hey, just toss me over the over the side is I, I would suggest to you that this was not a noble gesture at all. Because he can't be counted on. Instead instead, his his only action is to well just go ahead and kill him. Give them the opportunity to follow and be obedient. Jonah chooses death instead. There's this series of things that happen in the text in Jonah. Um, it's, it's called Jonah's descent. In the same way the word great is used again and again and again. Uh, again and again and again, you see Jonah goes down. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Jonah goes down into the ship. Jonah is going to go down into the depths of Sheol, which we'll talk about more later. In very startling and uncomfortable ways this is the story of Jonah's descent of Jonah going down and the irony of Jonah is that except for God none of the characters in this story no one in this story is who they are supposed to be do you see that the dirty untrustworthy Foul-mouthed sailors are the ones saying prayers to God. Why? While Mr. Christian, Mr. Religion runs away. The bad guys are always trying to do the right thing in the story of Jonah. And the good guy, well, he'd rather die. There was this thing about the story of Jonah. Uh, I would tell you, Jonah is not a kid's story because Jonah holds up in front of us a very uncomfortable mirror. It's going to call out on us and address our attitudes towards those who have harmed us those who have, who have maybe are deserving of punishment and brought ruin on themselves. Maybe you know those who uh, uh, your attitude towards, towards them is they're going to get exactly what's coming to them. And Jonah is going to call those attitudes out in each of us. Maybe I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Who in your life has harmed you more than any other? You don't have to point at him. Like, like just, just, just pause for me, love. Like, who has deeply, deeply wounded you? I know some of you come from broken homes and broken families. Maybe it was an employer or a friend that betrayed you. Like, like, <laughs> get the picture of this person in your head. Who in your life is unforgivable. Now imagine God is calling you to carry to them all the grace and love and forgiveness he has poured out on you. Now pause right there. What was your, what just happened inside of you? 
when I when I ask myself the same thing, this thing with my jaw kind of sets. It's like I kind of grip my teeth a little bit. Because I want to, I immediately will say, look, God, you don't understand how awful this was. And God, you, you clearly, you don't get how bad they hurt me and how, how broken they made me. God, they are, they are so, like, they're, and they're not sorry. But suddenly, you're identifying with Jonah more and more, aren't you? You're finding yourself in his shoes. How does it make you feel? What does it stir up inside of you to know that maybe God is calling you to go to the unforgivable person in your life? Would you set your jaw against him? Would you try to reason with him? I know. What if we just ignored him? that any different than running and going in the opposite direction? You see, Jonah is this, has this <laughs> very uncomfortable mirror that he places in front of ourselves. Mr. Christian, Mr. Faithful, Mr. Religion. And he challenges our own willfulness. Is, is your willfulness in competition with God's will. There's a painful question that rises out of Jonah. If you see, like, Mr. Religion, Mr., you know, <laughs> Jonah, this, this prototype guy who talks an incredible game, like, you, you're going to see this. He, he actually later is going to, and still, instead of repenting and turning to God, he's just going to ask God to kill him. In fact, he asked multiple times. question is, what is that thing in us that we would rather take our own life than to fully and completely give it to God? What is that in preach a lot of grace. But do we really practice it? These are the questions of Jonah. As we wrap up our time, I just remind you, just offer you these simple reminders um, we'll talk more about this later, but, but Jesus is going to tell the Pharisees eventually, he said, hey, the only sign you're going to get is going to be the sign of Jonah. You know what he was calling them out for? The appearance of religion, the appearance of faithfulness, the appearance of being this follower of God without any of the obedience to actually do it. And while Jesus was eating with sinners, tax collectors, 
and scum. The great religious people who knew they didn't deserve all of this turned their noses up. You see, the scene of Jonah begs each of us to reevaluate our attitudes towards people who do not know God. It's like, man, this, this could be the one thing that could, could benefit and change the North American church more than anything else. If we really sincerely wanted everyone, you're like, you're saying, okay, well, not everyone, but everyone. You know, that whole, like, Jesus came into the world to seek and save the, right? Didn't come to condemn, but came to save. Even Romans, it says, hey, there's no longer insiders and outsiders, that this thing is open for everyone. If we could somehow really get that, the church would become alive. God's kingdom would come. And we would see men and women of the most unexpected size and shape and color come to know the truth of Jesus Christ and all that he offers. Let me say a prayer for us and then I'll dismiss this to a time of communion. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the story of Jonah, even though it is is kind of startling and, and painful. It, God, if there are things inside of us that, that you know, in one way we present ourselves as as a follower and, and use that name Christian. But Father God, if there are things inside of us that are preventing us from really stepping into your will and really following your call for our life to, to be your hands and feet, to be an extension of grace to those who don't know you, then Father God, I, I pray that in this moment, in this place, that we would repent. Do not allow us to turn from you or to run from you. God, we know, like, like Jonah says, I know this storm is all my fault. And Father God, maybe that's the confession that some of us need to make in this place. That instead of just pursuing the thing that you want, God, we've gone in every other direction. And it's only caused so many more problems. So Father God, God help us to repent of all of that and turn again towards you. Help us to be obedient to your will above even our own this kind of, of thing is possible, God, then we know it is only possible because of you, because of your constant presence, your, your constant desire to forgive, to be gracious and merciful. So, Father God, as we cling to your grace, let us extend it to each other. We love you, Lord. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together said,